Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Good evening, Bethel. How good to see you tonight. Looking forward to you being here. Looking forward to sharing this with you. I just want to take a moment. Uh, There's a moment of personal privilege. Is that all right? Uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law are here with me tonight, uh, Pastor Paul and Marilyn Hans. And I just wanted to give you a chance to greet them. I love them deeply. Um, you know, in North Carolina and Tennessee, I grew up in North Carolina, when uh, you're a father and a guy wants to date your daughter, you get out your shotgun, right? It's kind of what you do uh, in, in, in some zones. But apparently in Michigan, what you do is you take them under your wing and you mentor them. So that's, that's my mentor. So grateful for him in my life. I want you to know who he is and welcome him and celebrate him. Everything that's wrong with me is his fault. Um, so just kidding. He, he, is, he is a wonderful minister of his own right, wonderful pastor for many years, and not just in pastoring, by the way. Uh, one, many of the ways that we raise our kids are so deeply affected by them. It's hard to find more loving parents than those two. Um, is they would find notes, written, handwritten notes to them, and I, I, should go, I could go on and on. Wonderful people. I hope you'll meet them before the night's over. Take some time to do that. I promised you Sunday that we were going to geek out on the seven churches of Revelation. So I hope that it's okay that we start there. I just want to make sure that you know from the very beginning that we're going to root a lot of our talk tonight about the seven churches of Revelation in one particular church, Ephesus. I think that you'll figure out why by the time we get to the end, but I just want to let you know so that if by a long way through you say, oh no, we're still talking about Ephesus. It doesn't mean that you should multiply the length of the talk by seven in your mind and think, well, this is going to be another three hours. No, we're really going to center in on Ephesus for good reason. I'll share with you why. I also want you to see this image because, right, if you look right here, make sure I'm not standing in your way. Um, the, it's an ancient world, and we should pay attention to the fact that it is an ancient world, but because it was an ancient world that we're reading about in the Bible, often we have a lot of misperceptions. So I want to try to uncover those, because sometimes we think, hey, it's an ancient world, and it's, if we, we either assume it's just like us, or we think it has no connection with us, and, and both are wrong. Both would misguide us. So we'll focus on Ephesus. Just to give you an idea of where that is, uh, all seven churches of Revelation are found in modern-day Turkey. So if you didn't know that, that's the first little insight. And by the way, this is kind of teaching time, so we'll touch Bible, but we're going to do a lot of teaching about what the world is behind the Bible so that you can understand it more. So it's in modern-day modern Turkey, the western side of it. So when you're reading through the Bible, I know many of us are trying to read through the New Testament every month month this year. We're following Pastor Rice's Devoted to the Word Challenge. As you're reading through, you will hear uh, words that are up here on this map. I'll zoom in here in just a minute. So if you can't read it and you're saying, goodness sakes, Dave, I'm over 40, please, uh, would you zoom in? I will in just a moment. I want you to just have the big picture. Uh, then you'll read the Phrygia, Bithynia, Missy, etc. You'll see those words show up. They're just referencing zones in Turkey. The main zone you want to know about is Asia. 
sometimes in Scripture called Asia, sometimes called Asia Minor. That's that western portion of modern-day Turkey. We'll zoom in for a second here. So that's just a little bit closer. If you look in closer like this, this does for us. You'll see the seven churches, and you may not still be able to read it from where you're at, so let me do the weatherman thing. Uh, John, in the book of Revelation, is, ri- is riding from the Isle of Patmos. That's down here off in the ocean. Beautiful place. Wonderful resort. You think, what, you were imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos? If you ever visit there, you'll think, oh, please, imprison me on the Isle of Patmos. It's actually pretty gorgeous. I don't think he was living in a resort, though. But that's where he was. Now you can see the geographical closeness to Western Turkey. So uh, these are the seven churches. Right here you have Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And you don't even have to know how to pronounce those when you're, when you're reading your Bible. Just when you get to Revelation, just turn on the Bible app and it'll pronounce them for you and you just zoom right past. So those are the seven churches. That's where they lie. And notice that these are all Roman roads, these brown lines. Fascinating little thing for me about this. And we're not even into the meat yet. I'm just giving a little, I'll just throw in little nuggets all the time, loosely organized talk here. Uh, these roads are believed to be built in the first century AD. Scripture says, when the fullness of time had come. So in the fourth century BC, you get uh, Alexander the Great sweeping through, and you get a common language, Koine Greek, sweeping all across the known world at the time, so that now you could transmit a message, you could be a messenger sent to the nations, and people could conceivably understand you. But transit still wasn't easy, and it wasn't safe. Uh, The Roman world comes in, you get the Pax Romana, and part of the reason we have that piece of the Roman world is because these Roman roads gave easy travel routes where soldiers were constantly going back and forth and intersecting with military outposts. So now it's easier travel, faster travel, safer travel. Christ doesn't come until we have a common language and a, relatively speaking, safe environment for speedier travel for the message of the gospel to get to every nation. Isn't that an amazing thought? First century A.D. would be right before Christ is born. These were starting to be built. He's crucified. These are getting finished. Paul finally gets there as these roads are still being just laid. And, and, and it's safer than it's ever been. I didn't even plan on sharing that tonight, but that's a fun one. Okay, we'll keep moving. So those are the seven churches of Revelation. I'll go back. Uh, so this is uh, modern-day Turkey with modern names. Now, so these are the seven churches right here. And you can see how, if you, looked at, if you imagine these roads going between them, you can see almost like a little circuit that you could run. This was really a circuit of churches. Way down here, you have what is called Mersin now in Turkey. That's Tarsus. Hold on to that. Way over here, you have Antioch, but this is Syrian Antioch, which you'll read about in the New Testament. Most of the time, for most of my life, I read past these names, and I just ignored them. Sometimes I would flip back to the Bible, at the back of the Bible, and you get the little map, and I'd look at that little map, and i go, oh, that's where that is. But that's all it would do for me. 
I had my undergraduate degree in Bible, my master's degree in Bible, and I just graduated from Princeton Seminary with my PhD. And in 2012, I went to Turkey. Right after I got my PhD, and it blew my mind. If you start, I'm telling you, I just never had the motivation before. But once I was there, and I hope to give you the motivation tonight. Once I was there, the interconnections of what the book of Acts is telling me with, with what the letters were written in the, in, the, in the epistles with the book of Revelation just started opening up while I was there in ways. And I'm just marking these points so that you can remember them and hear them when you read them in the scriptures. Pay attention to the distances. Pay attention to where they are. It actually gives new meaning. So this is Syrian Antioch. Pisidian Antioch is up here somewhere. Over here is Perga. Down here is Lystra and Derby, where Timothy is from. We'll get to that in a moment. You don't have to hold on to that. But that just gives you the general idea. Now, of course, up here is, when you get back to the Old Testament, up around in here somewhere is the, is, is the ark. We're still looking for it. And, and Assyria and all of that. Okay? Got it? Got it in the map? So here you have the, Greece is over here. You have, uh, uh, Greece is up here. You have the Mediterranean Sea down here. This is the Dardanelles. Here's the, the Bosphorus. Okay, move forward. Let's talk about that connect, the connection of all of that with Paul. I know we're trying to get to Revelation, but there's a reason it's at the end of the book. So if you read Revelation and the seven churches of Revelation without understanding Paul and his missionary journeys, then you'll, you'll be struggling. So I'm just going to go through a place that you could go through too. I thought it'd be fun if I, if I don't show you things, you'd say, I don't know where to find that. Instead, show you things that you can find easily. This is going to be all from the internet, and you'll see my little, little notes put on it here and there. But th- I believe, if I remember right, this was BibleHub.com, The Life of Paul, His Missionary Journeys. So I'll just put that up there for you, and then you could go find it online. You live in a miracle age when an entire degree in theology is in your pocket for free. It's right there, if you just go searching. But okay, let's, let's look for a moment at this. Uh, Paul is born an Israelite in Tarsus. Remember I pointed out Tarsus to you there? A Roman citizen by birthright. Notice the time of, that he is born, A.D. 5. Very close to the time of the birth of Christ. That's right there, just to make sure you remember, I'm pointing it out to you. This is an interesting thing for me for just a second, to, just to note. Often in the history of missions, we have thought that people who look very different then the people they are going to should be sent. All of those churches, all of the churches we're going to talk about in a moment are in Turkey. Where's Paul from? Turkey. Paul leaves Turkey and he gets sent back to Turkey. That has missional implications for us. And if you think in the way we think in every nation, you're probably already jumping ahead of me and thinking about why we have the strategy we have. Why is it been working so incredibly well? Why are we reaching so many nations? Why are we multiplying locations in those? Because this is the way it was done in the New Testament. And maybe there was a reason. Just maybe. Maybe Paul wasn't dumb. Maybe Christ isn't dumb. Maybe the Spirit has a reason. Okay, when he's 26 uh, years old, we hear him talk about him being a Pharisee of Pharisees. Then he's present at Stephen's stoning. This is just a rough timeline. It's a guess of a timeline. He's probably born after Christ by about seven, eight years. Those are all rough guesses. Uh, that's, I'm, I'm putting in my little numbers for his age. By the way, this is me. That's why there's little red letters. That's a, that's red numbers, that's me just giving you an idea of how old he was based on his birth guessing. So there he is, 27 years old, holding the cloaks when Stephen gets stoned. I'm going to go through this quickly. 29, he gets converted on the, the, the road to Damascus. Remember all of this? 
so then he returns to Damascus at 32. You following his timeline? He's, he's, he goes back to Tarsus for safety because he's going to get killed. He's 33. 33 years old, he still hasn't done anything for Jesus Christ to speak of at all. Um, then, boom. <laughs> Pretty quickly, uh, you start to see this incredible missional movement that you get that map in the back of your Bible, right? But I, I want to just talk through this red, red loop first. This is his first missionary journey. So whenever you see these maps in your Bible, just focus on one at a time. Don't focus on all of them. Just focus on one and try to imagine yourself going through the world he's going through, and it's going to matter for uh, the seven churches of Revelation, trust me. Barnabas travels to where? Tarsus. Where's Tarsus? Turkey. Barnabas travels all the way to Turkey to find Saul. Saul's hiding out. He's been in the wilderness. He's been seeking the Lord. He's been receiving revelation. They heard about this guy who's a persecutor of the church. Paul goes to find him. He goes back to Antioch. This is Syrian Antioch. So if you go to visit there today, that's right on the border of Syria and Turkey, which means you're not going to go visit there <laughs> today. Uh, when I went to Turkey, we got almost this far, and uh, a crazy old man I was with wanted to go farther and I said, you don't have young kids anymore. I do. We're turning around right here. Do you see everybody in military garb? Do you see all the, all the, the battle rifles pointed our way? We're going back. He said, oh, come on. It'd be a great story, Dave. Uh, no, but if you, if you go there today, that's where it is. Uh, so he goes back to the border with where was, the border is now with Barnabas and he, they start teaching people. He's 42 years old. So now he's starting to do ministry and here is the Antioch. There's the journey, uh, the, the Syrian Antioch. There's Tarsus. This is Pisidian Antioch. When you're reading in the New Testament, keep that straight. Two different cities. So they travel from Antioch to, to, to Cyprus eventually, which is Barnabas's island. Every time you notice in the New Testament that they're there on, Barn and on Cyprus, Barnabas's name is mentioned first because he's from Cyprus. He's taking lead. Uh, then uh, they go back to the Jerusalem council when he's 44. Uh, I'm just flying through it. Um, just quickly here. Let me go back. Actually, I didn't read enough of it. Whoop, whoop, one step back. Okay, so uh, they go from Paphos to Perga. Perga is in the middle of Turkey. Then they start to climb a hill to go up to Pisidian Antioch that I just pointed out to you, right? He shares the gospel there in a synagogue and then leaves. Goes basically across a mountain pass, a huge mountain pass, five days journey. These men follow him from Pisidian Antioch, stone him, leave him for dead, five days journey down between Lystra and Derby, And then he comes back up the mountain. Uh, and comes back up and he, and he shares Christ with them. And at that archaeological site, don't have time to show you all the pictures, you'll find that every, over every synagogue a Christian church was built. It's the only archaeological site where we found this. Paul was stoned to death, resurrected by the prayers of the church. Instead of continuing his journey back to Tarsus, he was done with his missionary journey. He doubles his trip, goes all the way back up to find the people that stoned him, stands face to face with his murderers and said, look, I'm back. Jesus came back too. Can I tell you about this Lord of mine who's been resurrected? All, the archaeologist on site said, I'm just convinced. It blew their mind, and the entire town is taken over with the gospel. And it turns Paul's ministry. At that moment, he turns to the Gentiles. 
little tiny touch there. So 44 years old. Uh, I'm 44 right now, so I just thought I'd share that because it's a fun little thought. He's done a lot more than me by the time of 44. But here, it's the gospel after the first missionary journey's expansion. I'll take that off just so you can see how small it is. It's just this area. He's come from... Um, He's come from Antioch. They landed at Perga, climbed a huge mountain pass. John Mark decided that was too big of a mountain for an island boy. He says, no way. Ditches. They get up to here. They, they go down to here. They get stoned. Paul should have gone to Tarsus. Look, his missionary journey was done. That was the plan all along. He says, nap, forget it. We're going to go back and show those boys something. Well, come on, you good old boys. Look at me. I'm not dead. Leads them all to Christ and then ends his missionary journey back here. See how it's already starting to show you stuff? But that's all, the, that this is all the expansion of the gospel has given so far. Look at all the world yet. Just one journey. Um, next. So uh, they go to Derby Lystra and pick up Timothy. This is on the second missionary journey. Um, and they travel all the way across Turkey. Troas is on the far western edge of Turkey. They take that Roman road all the way to the west trying to get to Asia. But then they see a vision of the Macedonian man, and God says, don't go to Asia. Asia Minor, Western Turkey. So they sail from there. They go to Greece. So they, they meet Lydia. They, 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 the, the church in Philippi gets established, and the reason we have the, 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 the book of the Corinthians, etc. So they've come all the way to the Green Line, all the way to Troas. They go across here, come through Philippi, etc., come all the way down, go through Athens, and all the way back. That's the second missionary journey. Look what he's missed. Asia Minor, seven churches of Revelation. Paul started here, he just, they, they, wanted, they thought small at first, but he came back here, he was burdened by the rest of his people, all, all of these people that he knows about. And he's, he's got it in his mind that he's going to get all the way to the farthest reach of the place he knows and the people he knows, and he's going to reach these seven churches, these seven, influ, um, seven cities, these seven influential cities. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And God says no. Why? Goes up to here, comes back here, and then eventually starts to pick up Timothy. He picks up uh, supporters like Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth who's rich up here. He has financial support. He has ministry support. His message is being sharpened. He has a flop of a preaching moment in Athens. It just almost completely fails. He gets sharper and sharper and sharper. He doesn't get to here until late. So... Um, has to flee from Thessalonica to Berea, returns to Antioch, Syrian Antioch, their home-based missionary sending church, Antioch World Outreach Church. The missionaries come back home, get retooled, rebuilt, healed up, re-equipped. Re they have a meeting of the council in Jerusalem. Then he goes back and travels to strengthening the disciples all the way through Galatia. So now we get to the third uh, uh, missionary journey, and we see that he finally goes, cuts across, just like he's wanted to do. Finally, the Spirit allows him, and he goes first where? Ephesus. The place Paul has been wanting to get to all along. Why? 
Why is he so focused on Ephesus? Why has he been wanting to get there? Why is he praying to get there? Why is he frustrated that God redirects him? Why when he gets, why, when he gets back doesn't he say, look, we reached all the way to the west. We're good. We're good. The gospel will keep expanding. Why does he have this burning desire to get back? And why is he pushing for Ephesus? Well, this is the reach um, of the mission, first missionary journey. That is the scope by the Ephesians missionary once he gets their ministry. But let me show you some things from Ephesus and part of why I think it's the case. That's me at the bottom um, of this huge column. Can you see that? So I did a little thing where I just tried to count it. Yeah, I, I did a little thing on my computer where I put a little blue bar my size and copied and pasted it. This is, you know, redneck measuring right here. And this is something like 80 or 90 feet tall, just by eyeballing it. You can't put your arms around those columns. They're, they're 10 feet wide. They're huge. And each of these stone metal discs, I, I can't imagine what the weight of those would be. And this is all done without heavy machinery. This is a reconstructed column there near Ephesus. Just to give you a sense of some of the scope of what you'll see in these future pictures. This is looking down the street towards the library that was being constructed at Paul's time, a huge, massive library with sculptures in each one. This was an intellectual city. It was a center of learning and knowledge. It was a gathering place for the writing of the day. It was a meeting point for scholars. That's looking down towards where the coastline would have been. It was a harbor city. This is the amphitheater of Ephesus. When you walk into Ephesus, I kind of, at least in my memory, when I walked in, I think just pretty close to the first thing on the left was the amphitheater there in Ephesus. I'm down at the bottom in the middle with my little hero pose. You see me down there? Get a sense of the scope of that? That's me. Um, This amphitheater, let's see if I can get this to go forward, uh, is a 24,000-seat amphitheater largest in Anatolia, largest in that large region, not just Asia Minor, all around that area. So we think of it as a small thing. It's a lot bigger. Let me give you uh, than what we might think. Bridgestone Arena. Anybody know Bridgestone Arena? Bridgestone Arena seats 17,159 people if it's jam-packed full for hockey. 18,500 for basketball. So when you would have a gladiator event here, et cetera, it's 24,000. It's larger than Bridgestone, and this is 2,000 years ago. They built this all by hand. So way down there at the bottom, I was down there, and all these other tour groups were around, and I just started yelling, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, because I knew I was in Turkey. I didn't want to yell, Jesus is Lord. I was afraid. I didn't know, you know how safe it was. But do you remember in, in, Ephesus, in Ephesus, the whole, whole town, if would you read through the New Testament, you'll hear this. The whole town gets riled up. They all go down here. I mean, you could actually stand. This, you're looking at the place where the crowd happens in, in, in Scripture and yells for two hours, great is Artemis the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, because they're mad about what Paul is doing. Who's this? I'll get this go for my little graphics sometimes take too long. Who is this Artemis person? There she is. Artemis, um, uh, otherwise known as Diana, uh, a goddess of fertility. I'm not going to go into too much descriptive uh, speech about what's on her body, just 
I think you can notice what's there. And if I tell you that it's a goddess of fertility, you're going to figure it out. If you're thinking you're thinking the wrong thing, no, you're, you're thinking the right thing about that statue uh, and what is, what is being depicted here uh, by Artemis of Ephesians. This is a prayer alcove. This is where you would put all, uh, sacrifices and get your ob- oblations and your donations to Artemis. Ephesus was the center point of her worship. It was the epicenter of the pagan goddess of that region. And that pagan goddess was worshipped in all kinds of licentious, debauched ways regularly. This is the temple to Artemis, not quite to scale. It was a massive thing, but this is just kind of a a smaller version of it, but this is the idea of it. If you think those 90, 100-foot columns, think of them about that size all the way around. This is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Did you know one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was in Ephesus? Okay, call me dumb. An undergraduate degree, a master's degree, and a doctorate degree, and I didn't know that. I'm trying to help you back into what I backed into. So this uh, little seventh wonder of the world was written about um, in this way. One ancient author said, I've set eyes on the wall of lofty Babylon on which is a road for chariots, a road of chariots on top of a wall. Chariots going both ways. And the statue of Zeus by the Alpheus, another one of the seven wonders of the world, and the hanging gardens, and the colossus of the sun, these are all wonders of the world, and the huge labor of the high pyramids, the pyramids of Egypt, and the vast tomb of the Mausolus. But when I saw the house of Artemis that mounted to the clouds, those other marvels lost their brilliancy. And I said, lo, apart from Olympus, the the sun never looked on aught so grand. That's the temple to Artemis just outside of Ephesus, built upon a marsh with charcoal packed down by hand. Charcoal, 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 charcoal. So that it would be protected from earthquakes. The marsh would protect it, but it would be on flat ground. These people love their pagan goddess. Do you think you build something this incredible? It took, I think, 200 years to build it. Do you think you build something that incredible to a goddess you don't think is real? Here's the the street of Ephesus, the the main uh, boulevard where you would walk down. There's the library down there at the bottom. You can see a little bit of the water, although most of it has been silted in by a river. This was a major harbor right there for Ephesus. Uh, This is pipes that was running into a house. They had running water fed by gravity, aqueducts coming down from elevated spaces, then coming into the city, underground pipes. They had running water in their houses 2,000 years ago. I have a cousin, uh, my cousin Eddie. I do have a cousin Eddie. Yes, I am from the hills of North Carolina. Just leave me alone. But my, I have a cousin, Cousin Eddie, didn't get a, a toilet, a working toilet in his house until 19, I believe it was 1998. Um, we would eat on a fire out in front of their house, sometimes with a big, big kettle pot with baked beans and bacon in it, like that, that kind of Cousin Eddie. Um, he just thought, that's ridiculous. Why would you bring all that nasty stuff into your house? That's unsanitary. These people were more advanced than my cousin Eddie 2,000 2000 years ago. Uh, This is a a cauldron where some of that water would would pour in, and then you could build a fire underneath. Uh, There's all kinds of technological advances. This is near the amphitheater. Do you know what this is? 
This is a seat of ease, but there are multiple seats of ease uh, here. Right next to the amphitheater, there are 20 on each side. Imagine what, what kind of people movement you have when you need 20 on each <laughs> side. Water running down on the trough on the bottom. Um, this is a sidewalk. That's a sidewalk. We think we're fancy when it's that aggregate stuff. Here in Nashville, we're like, oh, we got the aggregate. Yay, yay, I see that. Excuse me. That's pretty nice. Didn't go with it. This isn't concrete. This isn't aggregate. This is hand-laid mosaic tile for a sidewalk. If you follow that sidewalk up, well, there's a little close-in version of it. Thank you, Robert, for that little zoom in. I appreciate you, sir, in the back. I see your magic. Uh, these are terraced houses that the wealthy lived in just off of that street, being reconstructed by archaeologists as best that they can discern they were. Do you see the flooring here? This is actually the original flooring. It's preserved. You can see the patches missing. Inlaid stone, inlaid mosaics, beautiful terraced homes, uh, these ionic columns coming up with the flutes at the top, hand-carved. Can you imagine this place? This is the Roman road. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine, you'll, you'll appreciate this, Paul in Maryland, that's Keith Drury right there, author of uh, Holiness for Ordinary People. Just in front of him is Ken Skank, the author of Jesus is Lord, New Testament introduction. It's require, required in multiple places. That's my dear friend. Ross, who died right after this trip, uh, two weeks later, digging a ditch in his backyard. Uh, those are my friends uh, that were on that trip with me. But there's, there's a Roman road, and you can see the cart grooves being carved into the road. But if you look closely at one of those marble slabs, I wonder if you can make this out if I highlight it here, just with a little bit. Do you see what, that, what shapes those represent when they're carved? It's a foot and a heart. This is just outside of a doorway. What do you think this is? Step in here for, I know, you're just so innocent. You're just wonderful Christian, naive people. You have no idea what goes on in the streets of these big cities, do you? Especially when soldiers are going everywhere and there's lots of wealth and extra money to be spent. You don't know what this is. Come on. It's a brothel with a permanent carved advertisement in the street. This isn't hidden. This is sex for sale on the main boulevard of Ephesus. Oh, by the way, off to the right of this is a soldier's helmet. Um, certain things follow people who are, it's like the enemy knows where the weak point is and sets up shop to sell you your temptation. This is Mary's Levanter there in Ephesus, broadly believed that John took Mary to Ephesus to protect her from the broad persecution happening in Jerusalem. You know, Jesus says, this is your mother, this is your son. So John, who wrote on the Isle of Patmos, was probably living before he was imprisoned with Mary in Ephesus. You starting to get the picture? Um, before I, I get to that, that's just a, that's another city. So all of this to say, Ephesus was the New York City of the ancient world, second largest city in the Roman world at the time, second largest, with the largest amphitheater in all of Anatolia, with homes that were so luxurious and wealthy, we haven't uncovered them all. 
I thought Ephesus was a backwater little dinky town that Paul just happened to walk into and spent time there because he fell in love with the people. (laughs) No. This is New York City. And he was dead set on reaching the most influential city, the most influential population, the power center, and the, the center, the epicenter of pagan worship and immorality in his culture. He would not give up until he reached Ephesus. And he knew that if he could plant in Ephesus and get a strong work in Ephesus, it would spread. It would spread. And he would be able to use that as a missionary launching pad at the farthest western portion of his culture that he knew about. Are you starting to see how Paul thinks? He didn't think like I thought he think. (laughs) This is Laodicea. Just going to give you a couple little other touches. This is Laodicea. It's fastly becoming one of the great archaeological sites in the world. They're reconstructing it. It's much farther along by now, I'm sure. Um, but you can see just the mountainscape views that were out above it, the beautiful uh, uh, columns that have been detailed by hand so well. I think there were three Roman baths that we counted there. So these baths that were hot and cold and, 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 and steam for, luxuri- for luxuriating in water, immersive experiences. This is one of those churches. You can look from Laodicea and see the hills of Hierapolis where there's salt deposits from the, from the uh, hot springs. And so that runoff would come down and meet cold springs, and as the hot springs with salty residue would come down and meet the cold water and mix and become lukewarm. And so if you drank from that, because you thought it was going to be a cold spring, it was a cold spring over here, you went just a little farther downstream, and the the salt water had mixed in, and then you drank from it, it would make you spit it out. Uh, Read uh, the letter to Laodicea, you'll see that there. Um, there's me and Ken. This is looking out from Troas, where, you, where Paul decided not to go into Asia um, and went across that beautiful sea. It was a gorgeous country, by the way. Like I, I, I think there was a lot of suffering and a lot of hardship, but there was a lot, also a lot of worship of the beauty of, and grandeur of creation in Turkey. This is Lystra. This is a, a guy we met his name. This is for fun. This is a little story. Uh, this is uh, Mamesh is his name. He farms all the hills around the, the, the mound of Lystra. It's an unexcavated hill. It's Timothy's hometown. And he was coming back with a hoe over his shoulder when we pulled up just using our GPS to try to find this place. There was no map to it, no markings. So we think this is Lystra. It was just four guys in a little car, always thinking that this was probably our last day on the earth. Uh, the way we were running, getting chased by Turks out of their town when we were there too late. But uh, he, he invited us, was very hospitable, gave us a whole tour up the, we had our little Turkish phrase books and we're trying to translate. That's his field. Uh, that's me feeling the grains of sand like a gladiator uh, there. There he is with his wife. They invited us back to their house. He built all of this house by hand, and she had her Quran open. It was the, the hour of prayer. When it finished, she was willing to receive us, and they gave us chai, tea, and turkey, and the sesame breadsticks he cooked in his hand-built oven. was so happy to tell us about all the irrigation he'd laid by hand. Took us up to Timothy's Hill, and we got to drink out of the spring aquifer that Timothy himself would have drunk out of because, uh, not, not aquifer, artesian well. I think was the, is the right phrase. The aquifer had bad water, and nobody would drink from it. The Roman water was bad, but everybody would drink from that spring. So Timothy drank from that spring is, is his conclusion. Fun guy, very fun guy. Uh, 
There, seven churches in Revelation. That was just for fun. Timothy and, and Lystra and Derby are down here. But Paul was always trying to get to these power centers. Smyrna is not as large, but it's very similar to Ephesus. Large harbor town known for its wine. Produced in fantastically delicious wine, apparently. It was like a Californian city, I suppose. Napa Valley, something like that. Am I getting close? I'm not, I'm not a wine drinker, but uh, it was a, uh, they loved wine. Uh, so I could go through each of these. These are all wealthy, powerful cities that are the seven churches of Revelation. Paul spent uh, three years in Ephesus, or two years, two or three years in Ephesus, significant amount of his ministry, one of the longest places he ever stayed. And from here, churches were launched along, guess what, all of the Roman roads. So why do I share all of that? And why is that important for Bethel World Outreach Church? Well, first of all, I just want you to see where this is located. And when you hear the letters to the churches of Revelation, you'll hear little things uh, about it. So uh, that, like I mentioned, the Laodicea and the lukewarm water, et cetera, the Philadelphia, the, the, the city of brotherly love, which has an open road that no one can shut. Uh, you, you'll see some of the things from, from here in, in, the, in the New Testament. But mostly, I think you'll find the book of Acts opening up to you in new ways, and, and you will find, more importantly to me, an understanding of a church planting strategy that's very important. Way over here, in a place called Syrian Antioch, a group of Christians got together and decided they weren't going to be partway Christians, they were going to be all the way Christians, and it was the first place anybody was ever called Christians. Do you remember that? Little Christs. You can't be a little Christ without saying, I've got to go to the other towns also, for that is why I have come. So they were fasting and praying because they're little Christians, and that's what Christ did. He was fasting and praying. He started his ministry with a pretty significant fast. And in the middle of his ministry, when his disciples couldn't do something, he said, these come on, they only come out by prayer and fasting. So he started in prayer and fasting. He continued in prayer and fasting. I know there's other verses that balance that, but I want you to hear that. So they're doing what Jesus taught his disciples to do. They're doing what the disciples did in the upper room before the Spirit came. And the Spirit directed them to set aside Barnabas and Saul. It seemed good to us and to the Spirit also. And to send them out. And where do they go? To their home cultures. Barnabas goes home to Cyprus and has Saul as his helper. Then they cross over on a boat and it's now Saul and Barnabas. Saul always mentioned first. He takes the lead preaching role. Why? They're now in his home culture. And when Saul wants to return to his home culture and go up that mountain again where John Mark left, Barnabas says, look, I understand why he left. He's, a, he's an island boy. He didn't ever see the mountain like that. I've, I showed you the picture of the mountains. It's white-capped. Uh, I think it was 8,000 or 9,000 feet elevation change that they had to do over that five-day journey on foot. Pretty significant hike. Barnabas is like, I understand why. And Saul's like, no, I can't have somebody ditching me in the middle of a missionary journey. No, I'm not going to take him. Barnabas goes back to his hometown, the home country again, and Saul takes off with his and takes Silas with him. But they reach his culture, and not just by some random strategy, not just by hitting any town, and not just by doing any little thing, intentionally going, first of all, where the Spirit leads them, to places of influence that the Spirit will allow them to go. 
But the Spirit delays them from getting to the most significant place they're going to go until they're fully ready. He's got financial support, his message is dialed in, and he's got ministry team members who are ready to help and are ready to stay. And then from those powerful places of influence, other people are sent. And the book of Ephesus is probably a circular letter. We have early um, manuscripts that don't have the word Ephesus on it. It was like it was a blank. To the church in blank. Fill it in. Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Smyrna. Why? They get, they get a whole packet, and the front cover is the, to the church in Ephesus. Read this out loud. And the rest of them have blanks. Fill them in and send them out to the rest of the churches you've planted. We don't even know how many churches you've planted because you're probably ahead of us. It's been two years since we've seen you. Uh, one of our key leaders in another country, I was sitting down with him and his wife, and I was asking how many congregations they had in the country at that point. She said, 80. And he said, no, 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 dear, no, dear. You think it's 80? She said, yeah, was it 80, 82? 105, 105, I think. Oh, I can't keep up with it anymore. And that was going on here. So they're filling in, just fill in the blank with whatever church you planted, but we got to get to a place of influence first, get a strong and viable church, raise up people who are going to be all the way Christians, who, by the way, make the church as important to them as it is to Jesus, can I say it again, who make the church as important to them as the church is to Jesus, because if you do that, you can't stop us. Get the whole town out of the amphitheater. Yell for two, two hours. We don't care. We're, we can't stop proclaiming the gospel. Pass new laws. Shut us out of schools. You know, we have one of our church members, uh, Ricky Bowser, who's been going to Mexico for the last, what is it, 10 years, Pastor Philip? 10 years to Mexico to try to get us a, a place on one of those secular campuses. Kicked out, kicked out, kicked out, but still leading people to Christ. Now those converts are working for the university. So they have a way in we didn't have before, and now we finally have a church at that university starting now. Ten years of Ricky Bowser's faithful travels back to Mexico, back and forth, in between being an HVAC business worker, right? Working all the week, traveling, coming back, traveling, coming back. Because we are going to find places of influence. We're going to go to the places where the intellectuals gather. We're going to stand daily in those places and debate with those who are willing to debate. We're going to take the risk. We're going to get kicked out, and we're going to keep coming back. And we're going to keep coming back until we have a viable church full of people who are saying, I'm not going to be a partway Christian. I'm going to be an all-the-way Christian. Because if we can get 50 of those, goodness sake, we can have a whole circuit of churches before you know it. Do you understand? That's why it's so important. But then John is exiled to the island of Patmos, and the Spirit gives him insight to the spiritual leadership of each of those churches. Great, we've got churches planted. Here's the one degree off true north that has happened for you. Here's the one degree of, off of true north that has happened for you. Here's the three degrees off of true north that has happened to you. Because John knew, because the Spirit let him know, that if they keep going for very long, one degree off, they'll be a long way off after 100 years. And we're not trying to plant churches just for our generation. But we are trying to reach every nation in this generation, if you haven't heard that before. That's our vision. Are we to be a house of prayer for all nations? Yes. 
Are we stopping at prayer? I'm going to say it, and maybe I lost you somewhere along the way. So welcome back. Are we to be a house of prayer for all nations? Yes. Are we to stop at prayer? No. We have really good work to do. We have really good work to do. It's worth doing. And let me just tell you, it's more fulfilling than Netflix. Forgive me for a moment. It's more fulfilling than the Olympics. We're not doing so well you know, right now. We're just kind of, we're on the struggle bus. Let's just admit it. Thank goodness we finally broke through the gold plane. You know, God bless America. But it's more fulfilling than the Olympics. This is the spiritual Olympics. I want to train for it. Don't you? Would you stand with me? Lord, I just want to enter into a moment of prayer with you and ask that you do with us what you will. Um, It may be that you are speaking to someone right now in this place and saying, uh, you know who your people are. I'm asking you to go back home. I'm sending you. It may be that the Lord is speaking to you and saying it's time to get about this business of being a serious Christian. Not a slightly Christian. It may be the Lord is saying, you know, you're, you're, you're a faithful follower of me. You're doing the right things, but you're getting a little lukewarm. We need that passion hot. We need that passion hot. It may be that the Lord is going to say to you, you got a second, third, fourth, fifth love that's competing with me right now, and, and, and if you're honest with yourself, you got to admit it. Return to your first love. All these words to the seven churches of Revelation. Maybe God's moving in your heart and saying, Dave, I know we're trying to plant churches. I know about Columbia. I know you're trying to plant a church in Columbia. I know that you're going to pray for East Nashville, and we're going to pray for Spring Hill, and we're going to pray for other locations. We want the seven churches of greater Nashville metro area. Maybe, maybe God's pressing for you to do that. I don't know. But I think God might want to do something tonight. And what I know about the Holy Spirit is he tailor makes it for us in a way that I can't do. So would you bow your head with me for a moment? Lord, would you speak to us right now? The series we're in called Listen. We want to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Yes, we do. We want to hear what you're saying to us. We're your church. And I want to hear what you want to say to me. If the Lord is speaking to your heart and he said something to you as a way of saying yes to him, I don't need to know who you are. You can talk to me later if we need to talk. My eyes are closed. I just want you to lift your hands to him, or your hand, or both hands if you want, to say, yes, Lord, it's a sign of surrender. I hear you, and it's yes. As he speaks to you, if he gives you the ability, uh, raise your hand or your hands to him as a sign to say, I hear you, Lord. And the answer is yes. 
I know from my own heart, my answer has been yes. I try to be. My, my answer, my, the reason I'm here is my answer is yes. But I know I need to keep saying yes. There's always that temptation right at my door to start saying no or maybe or later. I want to say yes. Lord, we want to gaze right now into the face that has fiery eyes that shines as bright as the noonday sun and we want to fall down at those burnished bronze feet and wet them with our tears tears of passionate joy out of love for what you're doing for the world out of love for you for the grace you've given to us out of a broken open heart for your mission whatever it is we just want to come to your feet right now and say we're yours we're yours we're yours. Would you put your right hand on us and say, fear not? Would you put your right hand on us now and say, fear not? I know you've said yes, and that brings fear. Fear not. I'm with you. We want to get working with you, Jesus. We know it's good work to do.